Welcome to Culture Radar, Australia's leading smart safety culture platform. Do you want to transform your safety culture from your Achilles heel into your competitive edge? Stay tuned to find out how, as Dr. Gary Marling shines a light on important safety issues as he interviews globally recognised safety experts and talks about why an appropriate safety culture is vital to you and your organisation. Are you putting your people at the centre of safety? Find out now. Uh, Stacey, look, thanks very much for joining us for our um, Safety Culture Expert Series. I think this is the third that we have run now. And uh, this is the first one we've done virtually because of COVID-19. So I hope all our technology is going to work that we set up. Um, and let's just see how we go. Um, the first thing I get people to do, Stacey, is tell us a little bit about themselves and, and about their business before we sort of move into the, um, the, the topics of culture. So if you'd like to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, about the pump um, uh, online platform that you have and the training that you do, um, I'm sure that will interest the people listening. Thanks, Gary, and um, great to be here and, and share these thoughts and ideas with everyone. I hope, I hope it ends up being quite practical for everyone who's listening. Um, Gary, you and I go back a long way, in fact, and that was very early in my career. I'm a, I'm a maths nerd. I think that's probably the best way to describe me in a nutshell. I love numbers. I love what numbers can tell us. And uh, since those days that we used to work together, uh, I've kind of evolved a methodology for how we can use numbers in the context of measuring organisational performance. And the methodology is called PUMP. And it kind of, um, it kind of has gradually grown and taken off um, over the last 20 years. And I think one of the reasons why people have liked it so much, and look, it's in probably 45 or 50 countries around the world. It's, I've lost track of how many people are using it. Uh, but I think why people want to use it is that it's practical. Uh, that's the most common word that, that our customers and students say when they describe it. They find it logical. And probably the third word would be engaging, which is not usually a word associated with measuring performance. It's usually got a negative stigma around it. And people have not very often had great past experiences with measurement. But I think PUMP completely changes that. Thanks for that, Stacey. That's fantastic. That's a, a nice, succinct uh, introduction. Uh, I, love the, uh, I love the name PUMP, um, the connotations it has for uh, pumping your numbers, I guess. Uh, it's what originated with me. Um, shall we move on to the topics that we're going to discuss? And uh, there are five of them I've got showing on the screen now. So we're going to talk about KPIs, uh, what to be aware of, um, remote work, which is, uh, I guess, very topical at the moment with COVID-19, um, mm. measuring culture, and then uh, um, asking ourselves, is there, is there such a thing as a perfect culture? So in terms of the first one, KPIs, um, could you tell us a little bit about why you think it's important to set, measure and track KPIs, particularly for high-risk organisations? Yeah, absolutely, Gary. Fundamentally, KPIs, performance measures, metrics, whatever you call them, they tell us what we can't know just by walking around, looking at things, talking with people. So KPIs and numbers have a sensitivity that that human perception doesn't have. 
one of those um, one of those benefits of, of measuring is that measures can track changes through time much better than humans can perceive change through time. Uh, another is that KPIs can tell us what's happening across space. And of course, humans can only be in one space at any one time. So they, it's really hard for, for us to appreciate what's happening where and to what degree. Um, and thirdly, um, measures give us information in the context of variation or variability. And that's something that humans tend not to uh, connect with very well, is this idea of random variability. We think that any difference is a real difference. But in fact, when we measure things properly, we can often discover that very small differences that we would usually ignore or discount are actually real changes in performance. And also big differences that we might think are obviously real and, and they mean something really has changed don't necessarily have to be if, if the variability is is quite big so basically kpis tell us what we can't know just by walking around and in the context of high risk organizations this is even more important because very often we need to know things about performance with much greater speed and more accuracy uh, than in, in most other types of organisations where risk is not, not such a big thing on the radar. Yeah, I guess that speed um, issue is fairly important. Uh, we're all uh, busy people, processes are happening a lot quicker um, than they used to in the past, um, and, and we're just very busy. So, you know, we need to get that information through very quickly to, to, to the people that need to use it. Indeed. So thanks for that. That's a, that's a good introduction to KPIs. And as you know, we take a very narrow view of that ourselves um, in terms of what we help our clients with. We call them SPIs, safety performance indicators. But I guess the same applies. Yeah, it, absolutely. Okay. So things to be aware, uh, be aware of or be wary of, um, Stacey. Um, what are the dangers of a, of a measure everything culture? and in particular for high-risk uh, organisations? I, I guess I'd, I'd kind of say that a measure-everything culture is very correlated with a fix-everything culture. And in a sense, when everything matters, which is often what people say when they measure too much, is, oh, but it matters, it matters, we should be measuring it. When everything matters, that means that no one thing matters enough. And we just don't have the time, the money, the people, the energy to fix everything, uh, to fix everything that we think matters. It's, um, it's very hard for us to, to give our attention to everything. Our attention actually gets fractured, uh, which means it, it's broken off too soon from thinking about one particular thing that, that needs our attention. Uh, it's almost like an attention deficit disorder where we have to go on to the next thing that we're measuring because we've got to get through all the measures and tick them all off. The other thing that, that happens to our attention is it's quite thin or, or superficial. So uh, none of the, the results that matter get a deep enough analysis so that we can get right down to those root causes and, and fix them. Therefore, nothing gets what I call fundamentally fixed. In other words, fixed once so that it can continue to perform at a, at a high or acceptable level. And you know that, that includes the causes of some of the highest risks that high-risk organisations really have to deal with. I think being ruthless 
about what is most important to improve is the way that we can avoid measuring too much or, or measuring everything. And that's really because what we measure is a direct consequence of the results that we say matter most, the results that we know we should improve, the results we know we can improve, the influence in some way, and also the results that we will improve. In other words, we, we have the resources and we are prepared to invest those resources to fix those results. So high-risk organisations can be ruthless about the results that matter most now and just measure those results. Oh, that's great. Thanks for that, Stacey. So it's essentially it's taking, a, a, I guess, a risk-based approach to, to what you manage, but also um, uh, potentially being uh, taking a situational approach as well, because those we live in a dynamic world and, and, and things change. So what matters now may not matter tomorrow or the next day, and we need to be aware of that. We, we do, Gary. And look, it's... it's it's the same for organisations that we wouldn't necessarily put in the high risk category. This is why we have strategic planning and why we don't set a 50 year strategic plan and leave it at that and just, just go ahead and implement it for the next 50 years because the world keeps changing. And, and if, if this era we're living in right now with COVID-19 is, is not teaching us that lesson, nothing will. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So the next thing we wanted to talk about, speaking of COVID-19, is uh, remote work and how leaders can engage teams with KPIs to ensure that their employees remain safe, productive and collaborative while working remotely. I might call your opinions in on this a little bit too, Gary, because um, I think there are three kind of generic ways that leaders can, can do this um, to engage their teams with KPIs. And, and the first one um, is probably to focus more so on the, the safety-related KPIs that still apply right now with people working outside of their usual workplaces. And, you know, that's going to be organisation-specific. Um, I think one, one could be stress. I'm not sure if that's really considered part of, of safety in, in every organisation's definition. But certainly stress is something people are going through a lot right now. And that uncertainty... Um, is going to affect the way they work, the way they feel about work and, and how productive they might be. I don't know, Gary, are there specific types of injury that people might still be facing when they're working remotely? Yeah, yeah. look, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, stress and uh, how to deal with the uncertainty. Um, uh, and I guess we forget that people, they go to work to work, but there's also a social uh, contact element that, uh, that people rely on for going to work and mixing with their colleagues. Uh, and they just don't have that at the moment. So that brings in the, those issues of stress and anxiety and so on. So yeah, it's a very, uh, um, it's a very good consideration. Uh, we just recently ran a survey uh, on people working from home and, and that certainly came through as, uh, as one of the issues. Um, mm. Other things to, uh, to consider, yeah, just because you're not working in the work, uh, in your, in your workplace, there are still things like, um, you know, is, is, is it safe to work with in the area that you've selected to work from home or remotely? Um, have you done some form of um, inspection of your workplace that you'd normally expect in the workplace? You know, 
why haven't we done it at home? And again, it came through as a strong theme in our, in our survey that uh, a lot of people uh, had just not considered, well, the people working from home, but also their management had not even considered that. Um, if it's a workplace, it's a workplace, even if it's remote. So all the, the same, same issues to, um, to maintain a, a, a healthy work culture should apply. Absolutely. So there, thanks for helping me out with the examples, Gary. No, that's, no. that's what I think we should be talking about um, with our teams is, is what are the specific safety risks that are relevant to all of us right now to, to name them, to prioritise them, and then focus on, on the measurement of those if, if it's still necessary to, to measure them. <clears throat> yeah. the, second, the, uh, the second piece uh, about product being productive, I, I think so that we don't add to the stress people are already feeling, um, it, it would be useful to help employees to work in teams, even you know online, um, and learn how to articulate their team results really tangibly and measurably so that we can track and monitor productivity in a meaningful way that's, that's based on the team achieving the, their agreed results because it's too easy to default to those traditional individual measures of hours worked or widgets produced per hour. Those things are, um, are not helpful, they're not useful, they're not telling us much about real productivity and that they would be putting extra stress and pressure on people to, to try and work really, really hard and really, really efficiently because they're getting measured by that, but they've got the kids at home and their spouse is at home and, and they, they just don't have that um, little bubble of an environment where they're in 100% control of where their attention has to go in at any one moment. So I think a team approach to deciding and clearly articulating which results matter most for us to produce right now and basing productivity decisions on the achievement of those results. Yeah, that's yeah, good. In fact, as you know, we're a very small team um, in culture radar, but uh, we still maintain our work in progress meetings we have at the start of the week. We have a scrum meeting as well during the week uh, where we measure um, uh, our promises to each other, our productivity, and, and we can adjust accordingly. So just the fact that we're working uh, not in the office, we're still collaborative from that point of view, make sure that we're, we're meeting our objectives. That's it, and that just like you've described, the use of, the, of measuring those things is to inform the discussions about what needs to be adjusted, what should happen next. It shouldn't be about you're not being productive enough. Yeah. Um, thirdly, about the collaboration side of this, um, if tracking and discussing and interpreting KPIs of any kind, not, not just the safety-related ones or productivity-related ones, but if, that, if there are other KPIs that are still on the radar that are still relevant right now, then that really is going to be best handled by making it a team exercise, uh, an online discussion, so that nobody feels like any individual KPI is a judgment on them personally. So I've, I've always, and this is a big part of, of PUMP, is that a measurement is a team activity. It's not, an, it's not done by an individual and it's not done to an individual. 
It's uh, a tool in the hands of teams to make better decisions in whatever context or situation they're in right now and whatever results they're, they're trying most to achieve. No, that's, uh, that's uh, a good consideration as well. So you depersonalise the KPI, I guess, to a certain extent. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it, it's actually critical to, to maintain that engagement and, and buy-in from people, whether or not they're working remotely, in fact. <laughs> so, uh, Stacey, we'll, we'll move on to looking at measuring culture. And, and I'd like to get your opinion about, um, I mean, we can look at observing behaviours um, and we can look at culture from drawing out people's intrinsic uh, opinions about the organisation and their own safety practices. Um, do you want to comment on what other issues we can consider in terms of measuring culture or even the fact you think we can measure culture itself? I think absolutely we can include people's opinions uh, in the measurement of culture as well as uh, the observation of behaviours. Um, and that's generally because intangible concepts really requires several types of measures because a single measure is rarely enough evidence on its own. Um, terms that, that kind of describe this, this, uh, this approach is like tri triangulation, you know, where you need uh, three points of data, I think, to figure out where you are in space. Well, sometimes we need three or more measures to really figure out where our culture is relative to where we want it to be. And culture, of course, has multiple facets to it, um, different pieces, I guess, that make up the whole concept of it. So a model really helps us uh, when we're trying to deal with how to measure something as complex and intangible as culture. And I, I want to borrow from a model that a gentleman named Jack Phillips created some time ago and has written um, a great book called How to Measure Training Results. So it's, this model comes from training but training itself has also been considered quite a tangible and difficult thing to measure. So I think it, it draws parallels to, to the culture measurement problem. Jack Phillips' model has six levels to it, and each of those levels give us some clues about a dimension of culture we might want to measure and, and also sources of data for how we might measure that dimension of culture. Um, so shall I... Would you like to go through the six levels with me? I think, uh, think it would be uh, interesting to do that. Well, level one um, is, is generally about people's reactions or attitudes toward the thing. So in the context of safety, it would be, you know, what are people's opinions about, this, about their safety in the organisation or how safety is handled in the organisation? And, and an example of how that could be quantified is to have a survey maybe with certain statements in it where we ask employees to indicate their level of agreement with the statement. Um, do you feel safe when you come to work every day or you know, how much do you agree with that? So that's level one, it's, it's people's opinions, it's reactions, attitudes, that kind of thing. Level two measures of a safety culture will relate to the kind of learning or knowledge I guess, uh, that people might have. So it could be how much um, do people know about safe work practices relative to what we think they really should know or what, what they need to know 
for their job or for the, the kind of industry that, that our organisation's in. Um, and, and those things will be very unique to the organisation based on, based on its, its own safety goals and also its, its industry and all that kind of thing, its specific risks. So level three in this model would be the behaviours, safety related behaviours, and we'd be trying to quantify how much the priority safety behaviours that we have as an organisation spelled out, how, how much they're practised in the organisation by people. Level four is then about the business impact um, of all of the first three levels, really. Um, and, and there we're, we're thinking, how could we quantify how many safety incidents are happening, perhaps? Um, but, but not only uh, safety-related, uh, like incident-related measures, but also unintended consequences of putting attention on safety. And that could be maybe cycle times for delivery slow down because people are having to put more time and attention on being safe in a way that, um, that unfortunately slows things down. And, and maybe the, the safety management costs uh, are higher as well. So the, the level four business impact is not just about measuring how safe is the workplace, it's also about and what are the consequences of how safe we've made the workplace. That then leads us into level five, which is return on investment. Now, a lot of organisations won't get to level four measurement, let alone level five, because the level five return on investment measurement takes a little bit more discipline and data gathering than many organisations are either prepared to do or have the capacity to do. But this is really about comparing the return that we're getting from better a better safety culture, like uh, the savings in incidents that are no longer happening, um, fewer, you know, the cost of claims, fewer uh, or lower costs of claims, um, maybe even insurance premiums come down. I don't know, there could be a whole lot of savings related to a safer workplace. But how does that compare to the costs that we've had to invest to reduce incidents and um, the incident rate and severity of safety um, in our organisation? Uh, and that's the cost of culture change initiatives, but also the cost of the unintended consequences that we talked about in, in level four. And finally, level six, I know this is a lot, it's quite a complex model, but uh, it's, uh, it's just such a worthwhile way to, to measure those, all those dimensions of, of culture that matter. Level six is about the intangible benefits. And I, I kind of call this the spin-off benefits of doing safety really well. So if you've done measurement from level one through to level five and you've improved those measures in other words you've got a much stronger safety culture then the intangible benefits of that are still extra value and the spin-offs might be uh, because of your your great safety culture and reputation in your industry you've got higher customer loyalty they, they feel better working with with you as opposed to a competitor maybe you've got greater employee engagement so they're not things that are specifically safety related but they're spin-off benefits from having a strong safety culture so it was level one reactions or attitudes level two knowledge level three behaviors level four business impact level five return on investment and level six intangible or spin-off benefits and i reckon measuring all of those would be a really complete way 
to get information about your safety culture and to pinpoint what you need to do next to improve it. Stacey, that's a, that's a great model to, to use. It comes outside of the safety uh, um, domain, you brought the training domain, but uh, still just as applicable. A couple of things resonated really well with me there. Um, uh, there is no one number for measuring culture. Mm. Uh, a lot of clients ask for a number out of five, and it's got to be better than, than last year's one to say that their, uh, their um, safety culture has improved. We, uh, we strongly, um, strongly coach them around that mentality and say that's not the case. Uh, culture is a little bit more complex than that. Um, the other thing that resonated well with me was the, uh, the trade-offs, understanding that uh, you know, we have to make trade-offs in terms of managing productivity and safety. Uh, and the last one, I guess, the, the word that came to mind was uh, serendipity. What are the serendipitous things that pop out of having a good safety culture? Mm. They're the things that I was thinking of as you were walk, uh, walking us through that model. Thank you. Oh, they're, they're excellent observations, actually. I think it's uh, that, that's um, the power of having a model that has already been proven in another context, like training. Um, you, you can easily see the parallels there, and it, it's just it helps us think more completely about what's what's the evidence of a strong safety culture. So great, I'm glad I'm glad that um, resonated with you, Gary. Oh, it was great, and I, and I hope our listeners uh, get something out of that as well. Stacey, just in uh, in terms of wrapping up, our final thing that we're going to look at: define define perfect. Does the perfect culture exist? What what do you think about that? I've got a bee in my bonnet about the word perfect. I don't think anything perfect exists at all. And I actually think the pursuit of perfection is, is a waste of time. I love the pursuit of excellence. Excellence is achievable. Perfection never is. And I think also that the pursuit of excellence really is about the continual improvement of the results that matter most and those results that matter most will change over time and the way we continually improve them will change over time but essentially that's what excellence is it's about never resting on your laurels and always striving for something a little bit better where it's meaningful to strive for something better and even with less than perfect measures there's no perfect safety culture there are no perfect safety measures either but having good measures or excellent measures is better than having no measures <laughs> Um, so I guess if a suite of safety culture measures are tracked regularly over time and change initiatives are wisely chosen so that they target improvements in those measures and that those measures improve as a consequence of those change initiatives, I don't think we can ask much more than that. I think that is the journey to excellence. But maybe this is too much of my opinion that you may not want right now, but I think a lot of a lot of organizations are not being even that deliberate about how they measure safety and their safety culture. So they're kind of missing out. Aiming for perfection is is um is, is possibly helping them procrastinate and miss out on the opportunity to aim for excellence. Very wise words indeed, Stacey. They align very much with uh, um, how we measure culture. Um, as I said before, a lot of uh, a lot of clients want to get that uh, score out of five and, and really sort of work towards getting a five and aligning it with a maturity 
um, culture model, a safety culture model. But it's, it's all about, uh, as you say, um, uh, well, we call it striving for good practice, not even um, excellence. And what is good practice for you may be entirely different for someone else because of the nature and scope of your business, um, your, your business objectives, your safety objectives. But uh, what you need to do is, is shape. We, we talk about shaping and integrating the culture to, to match those. So I yeah. think what you've uh, spoken about aligns very well with our thinking as well. Oh, nice. <laughs> Look, um, Stacey, that's, um, that's covered all the issues that, uh, that, that we wanted to. So thank you, uh, thank you very much for your time. Um, it's been quite a while since we've seen each other face to face, but we do, we do keep in touch in, in other ways. And um, we certainly appreciate you being one of the collaborators as we try and move, uh, move our business forward. Um, so um, once again, thank you very much. Well, thanks for the opportunity and um, thoroughly enjoy collaborating with you, Gary. Great. Thanks, Stacey.